Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Here we are again. Hey, Kenny. Hello, we're back. Pastor We've had our Rowan. lunch. Yes. Are yeah. we allowed to say that we're doing two at once? We, we have already said that last <laughs> week. So, hey, we're back. We're, we're sitting we're down back. to back up. It's been a week to you, but it's been 45 minutes to us. That's right. It's been a spinach roll and a Cornish pasty. I feel between. like my voice is just getting better and better. Yes, it is. You've got yes. some fresh I've got some fresh honey steam and lemon. coming there. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd realised that the last podcast I didn't wave to the viewers, and to I know the there's a couple hey, out there, so... There's a few viewers out there. Most of us are <laughs> listeners, but there are a few viewers. Well, it's great to be back for the Bible. Wait, what? What? You're doing that well, even <laughs> with your croaky voice. All right, here we are. We are um, talking this podcast, I won't say today or this afternoon, <laughs> about judgment. The overall, what, the overall theme is sal- the salvation. Yes. Salvation yes. and the kingdom. Yep. And um, today's podcast, the, the heading is judgment. Gosh, I don't know. I kind of don't know how to feel about judgment. Yeah, I don't know how I feel. Um, I do. I have always had this thing about why do bad things happen to good people, mm-hmm. and why do people that deserve to be judged have good things happen to them? Right. But then I always you're in good company the, because the always, psalmist yeah, said the same thing. I always get to the point where I'm, I'm not God, mm-hmm. and it's not for me to judge. I wonder what I sometimes I say to, to the Lord. What what's going on in your mind, God? Great with this stuff. I'm glad you're wrestling with it. Yeah, I always do, and I I, I guess, oh gosh, I'm like one of these people that would say. I go okay with forgiveness, but I never forget what someone's done. Okay. <laughs> Which is that real forgiveness. I can forgive, but I know? can never forget. I will always judge you even though I forgive you. Yes, that's right. Yeah. It's a, like, you say judgment. I didn't write down the 
definition of judgment, but I, it, I think it's pretty clear on a lot of people, isn't it? What, is it a clear? Well, I, I reckon, I reckon it's a word that we carry a whole lot of baggage. I know it's like with. everybody would have baggage that comes with yeah, judgment. Yeah, I think so. We've all had experiences of feeling being judged and judging and, the, and judging. Yeah. So I think it would be good to, you know, and you're talking about judgment in terms of of biblical judgment. Yeah. I think you need to limit it to the scriptures and as much as possible, try to let the scriptures talk to themselves. So we will carry our baggage with us. Yeah. And for some, I think I've mentioned this when we, when we did probably with Amanda, when we were talking about the justice of God. Yes. For some people in some cultures, we have a problem with the concept of a just God. So those in more comfortable cultures, cultures that tend to be more peaceful, like many Western countries are, we will be the ones who will naturally be more wired towards um, having an issue with God's justice because it seems like why would a God, you know, do that to people? Yeah. People who've come from cultures where there has been a lot more pain and hardship and abuse and warfare and mistreatment, they have less of an issue with God's judgment. In fact, they want a God who's just. Yeah. So to them, it's more, they're now more naturally predisposed towards that. Yeah. I would say those for those of us in the West, though, when it comes to judgment is we invariably, we, we're okay with judgment as long as it's other people who fit the scale that we think needs judgment rather than recognizing ourselves. So we go, okay, it's a judgment scale. Everyone below that scale needs to be judged. But somehow for some reason, we all send up, always seem to end up just above that scale, that scale of judgment Gosh. ourselves. It's, a, it's when you actually start to think of it, like even other people's judgment of the church in general, it's very broad. There can be a very broad judgment yes. I've found with people. Yes, yes. If you would say you're a Christian, all of a sudden you're linked to pedophile priests Correct. or something like yes. that, which is it. Oh, I see. <laughs> We're wiggling here's, going, here's, oh, yeah, that's right. here we well, go. Here's, here's my little pastoral it, tip you know? for that. When people, when people come and make judgments about the church, quote unquote, yeah. there's always a story attached to that. Mm. As Christians, we... I find so often we want to go in and go into bat and, and get defensive. I think that all that does is just put up a barrier, a further barrier, just reinforces to a person who has a certain perspective or a certain story, oh, the church, are, uh, you know, the priests are pedophiles this, or the church has done, done this or the tre- church has treated me badly or whatever. You getting defensive or me getting defensive is not, is not building that bridge. It's actually just widening the chasm. Yeah. So I think as a general rule, and if we're honest, the church hasn't represented Jesus well. So no. far better to come at it from the perspective of saying, you know what, you're right. That, you know, the church has not done that well. And I'm really sorry that that's been your experience. Yeah. And uh, all I can say is that Christians haven't represented Jesus well, but I want you to know that I don't believe that those behaviors represent Jesus. And so Jesus is fair and Jesus is just and Jesus is gracious. And, and then point people back to Jesus and say, yeah. and then say, you know, as much as I can, I want to be part of the answer. I want to be part of representing Jesus well. I want to be part of helping the church to right those wrongs where Beautiful. it has done that. I think that it, it may not win the person over straight away, but no. I would say you've built a few, you've built a bit of a bridge there. A lot of my answers, usually when I get things fired at me, I would say everything you're saying is something that a man has done. And yes, you're not really talking about God. You're yes. talking about what people have done in the yeah. name of God. Yeah. And tragically, that's the problem is yeah. we are supposed to be his representatives on earth, yeah. but we, we haven't done it well. 
But today we're talking about judgment of God and yeah, and he's been pretty consistent, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, and in in the concepts of the Sunday messages and things that will accompany this, we we're talking really about it, the concept of eternal justice and eternal mm. judgment and what that looks like. And we'll probably touch on that in the podcast. But once again, we're back in chapters and we're talking, you know, we're talking about large chunks of chapters together. Mm. So we'll come across that. Um, but I um, will be. You know, I'll, I might even I might even actually include, as I did with week one of this series, I might actually include a pre-recorded sermon as a bonus episode oh, yeah. um, into this podcast on this week, so that um, I've already pre-recorded as we write this. I've already pre-recorded a message that for our Picton congregation, as I did in the cool. first week. I might I might record that and included that as well. Um, so if you're looking at m- more specific stuff on judgment. You can uh, maybe look at that because we'll touch on some of it today, but I don't know where we're going to go exactly with, well, with the chapters. Would justice come after judgment? Justice come after ju- judgment. How closely related are justice and judgment? I think they're, the question. I think they're deeply related. I, yeah. don't, I think judgment is, is the natural byproduct of God's justice. If God is a just God, yeah. which means he will, he will put right all the wrongs yep. of the world, he, he will right every wrong, he will wipe away every tear, I think the natural bypro- natural product of that will be some form of judgment. Yeah. Uh, even, you know, we understand that intuitively. That there has to kind there of has be, to just be There has to be judgment to, to be just. just. That's yeah. right. You've <laughs> okay. got it. You've got it. Yeah. I think so. Uh, if, I guess you, the justice demands judgment. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the way to look at it. Good way to put it. Yeah. How about we dive right in? We're going back to, if you were listening last week, we're going to start by going back to Joshua and continue on our Joshua journey. Joshua, Joshua 9. Joshua 9. All righty. I think we must have got up to Joshua 8. Last week before yes, we, we did. went on to Mark. So yep. it was um, pretty much them taking Jericho and destroying it yep, and all that stuff. And then the, so the, the judgment upon the judgment. Khan because he stole oh, all the goods. Oh, that's right. Yep, Poor that's Khan to. made a bit of a mistake there. Yep. That was a, a pretty severe justice. Yep. Anyway, this Joshua 9 follows on after that victory of Jericho and it's talking about how all the kings west of the Jordan River had heard about what happened and – they were freaking out. They're next. They're next. That's right. That's what we said. These these are a whole bunch of city states that are now freaking out because they've heard what's happened to Jericho and they know there's this massive army coming to get them from the other side of the Jordan. Yep. Yep. So the Gibeonites, which is what, what the title is, the Gibeonites deceive Israel. Mm. They were very sneaky. They were very clever. They had this great plan where they yep. would um, – Act like they'd come from a far distance away. Yeah, we travelled a long way to get dirtied here. Dirtied their clothes and wore out their shoes. <laughs> Took molly bread with them and all kinds of stuff. It's almost, it's almost reads like a Monty Python skit, doesn't it? Here we yeah. are. We came from a long way away. <laughs> How do I know you came from a long way away? Look at our mouldy bread and worn out shoes. Okay. You can be saved. We won't hurt you. Oh, thank you so much. From this day on, woo woo, we deceived them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> woo, it does. Anyway, they got away with it. They did get away with it. Which, you know, is that just? A, you know, big question. They got away with it, and once it was bound by a, a treaty. Yeah. Yeah, it's right. There was an oath. So there was in, an in the oath midst made. of this. We talked about this last week. Yeah. In the midst of this ancient Near East culture, where they, they think warfare and obliterate destruction and all this is normal. <laughs> 
They make an oath they make an and oath. they treat that oath as we can't go back on our oath. Se- we've made sealed. an oath that these people yeah. have deceived us, but we've made a seal. We can't do it. We'd be wrong to disobey this seal. That's so then right. they, that's what they then go, okay, well, we'll turn you into water carriers w- and, and wood, wood choppers. We'll be wood choppers and water carriers. <laughs> that's that's okay. great. That's great. <laughs> that's a win. We would have been dead otherwise. <laughs> I love it. So there was a, a vow that they made in the name of the Lord and then three days later they found out that they were lying. Mm. We got away with it. Why? We deceived Josh. <laughs> and so their curse was to make him the wood. Why did you lie to us? May you be cursed and be servants who cut wood. Why do we lie to you? You were going to kill us. That's why we lied to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, a love, question, I love your Joshua. voice of the uh, give you nights. Uh, they're they're yeah. not men at all, are they? <laughs> no, they're not men. <laughs> they're, they're Monty we didn't Python. fight you. We just wanted to save our own backsides. <laughs> I've never watched Monty Python all the way through. One of my a lady I know said, I'm going to sit all you Christian boys down and we're going to watch Monty <laughs> Python and I'm going to make you Vecular. understand it. <laughs> He's not the Messiah. He's just a very naughty boy. <laughs> What did you say? I heard there's a, there's a sermon on the mount. Can't hear you. Can't hear you. Can you speak up? <laughs> Sorry, listeners. <laughs> Monty Python. Okay. Uh, always so look on the bright side of life, I always say. That's about that's the gist song, of... Yes, I know that song. Yeah. That's about the gist of Joshua 9. It goes through it? this story about the <laughs> we Gideonites. Just let Monty I, don't know, I don't know what happens at the end of it. They, uh, what happens at the end they of it? They curse them to be the, the yeah, exactly. And yep. then um, I think it basically goes... On to Joshua 10. Yeah, so suffice to say, as we put it in a nutshell, take Monty Python away, they had some kind of code that they lived by. So yeah. we might think these people didn't live by any code. They were ruthless. No, they had a code. It was no. just it's a different code to what we might yeah, live by. You can make an but, oath by shaking a hand and then that's right. you're not going to yep. be obliterated. That's yep. pretty good. That's right. I think we can think of a few Christians that could benefit from that theory too. <laughs> yeah. You know, we might say we're all enlightened, but we don't stand by the code of our word being our bond. And Jesus says, let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. That's, that should be enough for you. So, so these guys at least, had, for all their bloodthirsty torture, you know, destroying cities, at least they had a spit on your hand and it's done. And it's done. That's right. Wow. All right, Joshua 9, done and dusted already, hey? Let's let's hit Joshua 10. Joshua 10. I've just spotted a wonderful name at the beginning of Joshua 10, Adonai Zedek. Well done. King of Jerusalem. Hello. King of who? King of where? Jerusalem. Mm. What? What? <laughs> well, it should be a what because there's no Jerusalem at this stage. Jerusalem's not going to be called Jerusalem for some years Is that later. an error in the translation? I think it's a later translation. Oh. Jerusalem was actually Jebus at this time. Oh. The Jebusites. Oh, Jebusites. Jer- Jebusites. So this is an indication of a later translation on the text, probably in addition – like edited in later, Adonai Zedek, and someone's gone, oh, the king of Jerusalem, just ah. so you know. So later listeners, pay attention. This is where this guy's from. Gosh. Yep. So the title of uh, Joshua 10 is Israel Defeats the Southern Armies, and now they've got the uh, Gibeonites as ally- allies, and all the kings in the other lands are freaking out that they're going to be annihilated. Yes. Annihilated. How do you say that word? Annihilated? Yeah, that's right. So five Amorite kings combine their armies for a united attack against Gibeon. So the Israelites have moved into Gibeah. 
Yep. Is it Gibeah? Yeah, yeah. And now they've got the Gibeonites as their wood choppers. Well, and yes, water they've moved carriers. to this area and this this little city state called the Gibeon, the city of Gibeon. These now these guys are now their allies. They've gone into a truce, and they've probably gone. Well, we can't attack. We've got to lash out somewhere. We can't attack Israel, so let's attack the Gibeonites. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then the Gibeonites say to the Israelites, "Don't hey. abandon your servants now. <laughs> Come at once. Save us. Help us for all the Amorite kings who live in the hill country. They've joined forces to attack us." <laughs> I've got in brackets all based on a treaty from a lie, mind you. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and then. What does the Lord do to these uh, the army that comes? Throws them into a panic mm. and destroys them with a horrible hailstorm. Mm. Pretty impressive. Yes, it is. Could have just been a freak hailstorm, some people would say. Yes, and so some of these stories, uh, you know, those that hold to that inerrancy I was talking about last week, they go, well, yep. it must have been a divine storm. And yep. it could have been. But I'm also comfortable with the fact that it could have time of year. That time it could have been a supernatural. It could have been a natural event, a significant natural event. Yep. That um, they've attributed to the work of the Lord. Yeah. I, I don't mind either way. Um, some will think I'm a heretic to even de-spiritualize it to that point, but I'm comfortable with it being both. I, yep. I'm just going to take it at face value and take God uses all things. Yeah. It's pretty impressive, whichever the way you look at it. A hailstorm. Yeah. You know, destroys them, throws them into a panic. Yep. I mean, you could sort of see how it would happen. They got thrown into a panic. You know, people start talking, oh, what's going on? Yeah. Then the hailstorm. Especially and then in like, the ancient Near East culture yeah. where they worship Baal, the god of the storms. Yeah, yeah, okay. So if they start thinking God is, ba- Baal is against us, mm. there's a fear narrative aspect that comes in. I mean, they're not loaded up with 21st century signs of what a st- hailstorm is all about. They, no. they see they that as the wrath of the gods. They can't Google and see the reason. No. So they no. see this as the wrath of the gods. So you can see why there's a panic that yeah. comes upon them yeah. when that happens. And then I, I, I sort of went to verse 13 where it says, So the sun stood still and the moon stayed ah, in yes. place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. And then is this event not recorded in the book of Jashar, which I wanted to ask about? Um, yes, and I have no idea. We don't have any record to what the book of Jashar is. Nobody, not even the theologi- oh, theologians. Sure. Let me let me ask ChatGPT. <laughs> or upright. Jashar or upright it was yeah, apparently what called. what is the book of Jashar? Someone will have asked what it is. Let's see what ChatGPT says. Sometimes called the book of the upright or the book of the just is an ancient and mysterious text that's referenced in the Hebrew Bible but cannot considered part of the canonical scriptures, Jewish or Christian traditions. It's mentioned specifically in two places, Joshua 10, 13, where we are, and 2 Samuel 1, 18. The exact nature and content of the book remains subjects of speculation and debate, as they all do. Mm-hmm. Given it's mentioned in the biblical text, it's believed to have been a collection of poems or songs celebrating notable events or figures in Israel's early history. However, the original text has long been lost to history, and while various texts have surfaced over years claiming to be the book of Jashar, their authenticity is widely Disputed. Wow, so no record of it. No, but that's no not, scroll. That's no scroll. And that's not that uncommon. Oftentimes yep. in, the, in the kings, it'll say, as for the other events in the reign of King Hezekiah, are they not written in the the chronicles of the kings of Judah? Yeah. Well, the chronicles, the, the books of the kings of Judah are long exist. gone. Okay. Uh-huh. So that's not that uncommon. I just thought that was so boring that no one's no ever one actually them. read them. No, I think <laughs> the, the ones that have stood the test of time and come down are ones that have been considered inspired and, and told and written down. So... There are other books that aren't in our Bible that have stood the test of time as well, but yeah, that's I think we just have to be comfortable with that 
flexibility there. Cool. And how do we feel about the sun standing still and the moon staying in place? Is that uh, how do we feel about that? How do you feel about that? Well, I guess after what I've been hearing, it may or may not have happened, or right, you know, it, maybe it was just someone went, "Hey, the sun's been up for a long time," and then sometimes the moon does rise before the sun sets. Yep. In um, this case, it seems to be saying that it stopped and it hasn't gone down for a mm, whole day. Yeah. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies, stood there for a whole day. So I don't <coughs> so, know how I feel about it. That's no, why well, I, that's why I asked the question. Um, <laughs> there are definitely people who, even Christian people in science, have tried to find evidence for this. There are some that say yeah. they find evidence for it. They can. They reckon there is all kinds of the- theories about. But it's never happened since. It's never happened since. Yep. Although there is a situation in the story of King Hezekiah. Yep. Who, um, it says that the the shadow goes backwards on the sundial of his oh, dad. I has. remember that one. Yeah. Yep. So that would indicate. Well, it could just be a localized shadow going backwards. But usually, when a shadow goes backwards, it means the sun goes backwards. So that, that's the two accounts that we have in the Hebrew Bible yep. of something strange happening with the heavens and the sun. Right. So you've either got to see it as um, an elaborate story or a fiction, an overly fictionized story to tell that's been passed down, or it's natural, or it actually did happen. And so there's this quest to try and figure that out. And there's all kinds. So could of, it be there just to say what an amazing victory it was? And it could be to mark. Yep, I've heard of arguments, and once upon a time I would I taught these as absolute gospel. I'm yeah. much less willing to just accept it because. I heard a Christian preacher say it. <laughs> I'd want to do more research on it. But just to give you an example, stuff I heard years ago was that um, that at a certain point in time, uh, they can track it. They've been able to track in the heavens. And they think that probably could, potentially what happened was the earth was pushed off its axis slightly. Wow. And if the earth went off its axis slightly, that would requ- that would mean that it's um, the sun would stand still for a period of time. If the Earth was as a reset, as a reset, well, as it, yeah, just basically mathematically, as it's orbiting around the sun, if it gets pushed off its axis, it actually means that it, the same side is exposed to the sun. Yeah, these people have gone further and said there's also records in ancient cultures, like the Asian cultures, that there was a 24-hour period of darkness, wow. and they try to line that up and go, "There's your proof." Um, that maybe so, maybe so, uh, but I wouldn't necessarily. It wouldn't bother me if it wasn't. If it wasn't true, but people have gone, well, people it must be true. It's in the scripture, so let's think about it. Yeah, okay. yeah. And then they go further and say, well, look, between this and the sundial of a has, there was a change in the that that, that switch took the calendar because the the old fashioned calendars were all based on three hundred and sixty five days, and at that point, when the Earth went off its axis, the calendars changed from three hundred and sixty five days to three hundred and sixty five and a quarter days cycle wow. around the Earth, and so therefore they had to change all ancient calendars, and you see a specific point in time where all the they start to realize that the calendars aren't working and they change their calendar because they start to get seasons out of out of Ooh. sync and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> oh, so there's lots of stuff. But I would have all presented that as hard and fast evidence back in my day. These days I go, oh, maybe it is. Wow. And, but I'm not an expert on that, so I'm not going to presume to present that as evidence. I'm just much more comfortable with the fact this could have just been a bit of a hyperbole. Yeah. And all that from just a few lines, a few lines. in Joshua yep. 10, yep. wherever we are. Where are Joshua we? 10, yep. Joshua 10. So, so then after that, yeah. they, they corner these five kings that have launched the attack and I guess a bit of justice and judgment happens there. They um, lock them in a cave, is it? Or they lock, they lock them, in? them in a cave, they impale them on sharpened poles. <laughs> it's and all very gracious. Basically after that, Joshua and the Israelite army goes in an attacking spree, capturing 
towns and killing everyone in them. Yeah. Leaving so the, no survivors. Basically, Joshua and his Israelites did two major campaigns. After defeating uh, Jericho and Ai, they take the southern half of Israel, and then after that, they'll take the northern half. It's two major fighting campaigns. Yeah. Yeah. And I've I've added, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> what it says there. That's what it? it says. So let's touch on that because that's what we talked a little bit about last week. So if you want to yeah. go back and listen to last week's, you can. Did God command that or not? Mm. And basically the essence is the view is, well, some will say absolutely God commanded it, and therefore you have to wrestle with, well, why would God command such horrific judgment? Or could it be that that was, um, you know, just their understanding of what they thought God was saying? God didn't really command them to destroy everybody. And I'm going to leave that with the listeners to be the, wrestle the through. The soldiers at the end of the day going, we just, we got them all. We obliterated Yeah, we, oh, Even we, though there's that remnant. Yeah, you know how you, you win a sporting match. Them. Oh, we just, we just annihilated <laughs> we them. them. We flogged them. We won by, you know, two runs or something. We absolutely <laughs> flogged them. So there is a bit of that going on, a bit of, a bit of trash talking happening. Um, but yeah, you're going to have to wrestle with the justice of God, the judgment of God. But I think if you had to ask me, I think just to wrap up this chapter, I think there is a sense in which Joshua is acting. I think think he's acting as the judgment of God. Okay. Uh, whether or not they took it too far or whatever, just like the Babylonians are acting with judgment of God. I think there is a judgment against these nations because of their wickedness. Their, um, these guys were, um, sacrificing children. Yeah to their foreign gods. These guys were uh, enslaving women in sexual... So these kings were the kings that did evil in the sight of God. Yes. And the whole society was set up on a culture of abuse of power yep. that was destructive. And so I'm quite comfortable, not quite comfortable, but I'm, I'm, I'm understandable of if what's going on here is Joshua and the Israelites are acting... Yeah. as an instrument of God's justice. Yeah, my last point was like pretty harsh, but I guess it had to be done. Yeah, there you go. So that, you, yeah, last yeah. week you could have read that because that's that's it, a pretty harsh, but if this is left to their own devices, this is getting worse. We'll just spiral out of control. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. we're so going to jump all the way to Joshua 20 now. Oh, I don't know what happens skip, in between, but we'll... Skip ahead to Joshua yeah. 20, Okay. Alrighty, jumping ten chapters ten ahead chapters. to Joshua ten twenty. We were just saying years, that um, this is a bit of a buffer, and in the old Judgment and Justice uh, titled "The Cities of Refuge." Yeah, this is a bit of a grace story. Yeah, a bit a of grace. Little yeah. My my first point was, uh, even though they're the cities of refuge, you wouldn't really want to be living in one of these cities, but it would be better than being dead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So what's your understanding of the city of refuge? So the the people that got there were people that had done things wrong, but instead of getting uh, slaughtered, they they were allowed to go to the city of refuge. Yes. Is that right? There was, yes. There's lots yep. of rules about who, who can be in there and how it worked. Um, so in a nutshell, these were actually commands. Yeah. This is where we read about it happening, but God commanded Moses yeah, to set yeah, them up. Yeah, a while ago. So what had happened is they said on three on the one side of the Jordan and three on the other, three cities of refuge, basically spaced evenly, so north, central, and south. And if someone accidentally killed someone, they have what they call an avenger of blood, which is a, a near, a close relative, like a next of kin. If someone killed someone, a next of kin in their justice system, this is in all ancient Near East cultures, wow. was able to go and avenge that blood. Wow. 
and they thought that that was a just form of punishment. Is that like an eye for an eye? Eye for an eye. You got it. Yep. So it was a just form of punishment that an Avenger would go, not to be confused with the Avengers, but (laughs) an Avenger would go and hunt them down and kill them. And so what happened is this was the idea was if someone accidentally killed someone, let's say they're out in the bush and the axe falls off and hits someone in the head or something, they would be able to flee to one of these cities of refuge and there they would be protected. The Avenger of Blood could not come in and avenge them didn't mean they were completely free. It meant that they then had to be, go before the pre- present themselves before the elders, the elders of the city. Of the city. Gate. Yep, present and their case. Present their case, and then the avenger, then the elders would be able to make a decision on whether or not this was murder or manslaughter. If it was murder, they would then be able to hand that person back over to the avenger, release to the, the slayer to them. Yes, oh, but if it was manslaughter, then they could stay in that town. Yeah, and they had to stay in that town. If they left the town, they were then render a judgment. Would be able to if they actually walked yeah. out of the town, they were back under the mercy of the Avenger. But if they stayed in the town, they could stay until in the town their until death. The, no, their, well, their death or, or no, or the death of the high priest. Oh wow! If oh, the, yeah, high the, died, the high priest died, then they nervous. were free to leave, and the Avenger wasn't allowed to touch them. I mean, <laughs> it's it, that should tell you something. That's a radically different justice system. We've got to park our 21st century justice system. This is something different. This is yeah. rooted in. The high priest? I mean, what's that got to do with it? If I'm the Avenger, I don't care whether the high priest is dead or alive. I'm just, if that guy shows up in that culture, they're going to go after him. But the Avenger, once the high priest is dead, that person, that person who committed manslaughter against your sibling, is free to walk right free and you can't do anything about it. That would be an uproar if that happened today, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So this, this, is, this is their justice system. Mm. But I think there's a safety in this. And the, the writer of the Hebrews will pick this up later. I can't remember exactly where. But the writer of the Hebrews sees Christ as our refuge. Okay. Our but safe. Our safe refuge. City. He's our city of refuge. Okay. So all of us have run to Christ yep. for our protection from the Avenger. Yeah, that's beautiful. So that's how they're, that's how they're riffing off these passages. What questions did you have? Oh, just that there was... Six of these cities, mm-hmm. you know, how many people were doing how many things people? wrong? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite a few, eh? Yeah, it's crazy. Yep, quite a few. The six of these cities, yep. Yeah, but I, I can see how this relates. I think I think the six has probably just got more to do with to location. Yeah. So they don't have to run too far. Yeah, I there found it be... interesting. I do remember the bit in Moses where they he was commanded to do that and they've set it up in Joshua. So Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's about all for that's that That's about chapter. all. Yep, so that's what's going on. It's just six cities where they can race to if they need to. We're going to go to Joshua 22 now. 22. (laughs) All right, here we are in Joshua 22, laughing at my notes. Joshua blesses some of the tribes that have obeyed the Lord's commands and send them on their way, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Next point. But the idiots built an imposing (laughs) altar and shoot themselves in the foot. In brackets, I wonder whose idea that was. (laughs) (laughs) The idiots have built an imposing altar and shoot themselves in the foot. And then the whole of Israel goes to war against them. Yes. So we almost have the brink. We've just spent... Seven years fighting in unity against a common enemy and now no longer has the dust settled. 
yeah. and they nearly launched a civil war against each other. I know. Imposing yeah. altar. I know that you were talking about the Tower of Babel was them trying to say we're better than every, better than God. Is that what they were doing? Uh, you were trying to be else? like God. Yeah, be Tr- like God. Trying to reach heaven, yeah. Is that what these guys? Um, no, I actually, I've actually preached. I've actually yes, shared this so, story a few times this yep. year. Actually, at the start of this year, I, I shared a few thoughts with some of our leaders around some relational challenges that you know, different leaders across our locations had had with one another last year. And I used this illustration to show how easy it is to get a misunderstanding okay. and how, how we can go to war. So can let you me summarize you, that quickly? I will summarize that quickly because I can summarize the whole chapter based on that. Right. So we talked about last week, Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh were a group of tribes, two and a half tribes that were on on the east side of the Jordan well, River. They stayed on the east and side. They, they left their families on the east side and they said, we'll go across and we'll fight and help the rest of you get your land and then we'll go home. Yep. So they've spent seven years fighting. Oh, seven. Seven-year campaign. Yes. They've spent seven years fighting um, to get Israel established in the promised land. And then Josh says, okay, guys, you fulfilled your, your command, I release you from your oath. A bit like, a bit like Aragorn does in Lord of the Rings, I yeah, release yeah. you from your oath. So they head home, go home. And so what happens is on the way home, they come to the Jordan River, which is an imposing boundary. I mean, if you're ever going to have a boundary, a river is a pretty good boundary to demarcate land. Yeah. So before they cross, they this is their narrative to each other. You can read it in the story, but I'm going to put it in my own words. They basically say, this is a barrier. What happens if we go across the other side and then these guys on this side, they say, oh, you don't have any part with us. The Lord has put a barrier between you and us. You guys don't belong. Ooh. So that's the, that's their narrative in their head. Oh, we might get, they might kick us out. So what we'll do. They might not come across and help us if we get involved. Vice versa. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you'll see yeah. that does happen actually quite a lot because that other side is often the first side to get um, attacked yeah. by foreign kings. So they go, what we'll do is we'll build an altar on while we're still on the west side. We're going to build an altar here. Yep. And this before is going to cross. Before they cross, this is going to be a reminder so that just like the memorial pillar that they built seven years before to remind them about how God parted With the, the Red 12 Sea, rocks. the 12 rocks, yep. this is going to be a reminder of um, the, that we are part of you. Yep. Okay. That's their, that's their narrative. Okay. Meanwhile, some just guys, th- which isn't that bad. <laughs> Meanwhile, some guys watching this and they see them building an altar. And they go back without checking anything out, saying, hey, guys, what are you building that altar for? They run back and they tell Joshua and the rest of the Israelites and say, you're not going to believe what the Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh done. Uh, They've built their own altar. Uh, so then Joshua and the rest, of the rest of the Israelites get up in arms and it says they all get ready to go to war against these people over a flipping lack misunderstanding, lack of communication, right? Yeah. Finally, there's one guy, Phineas, the priest. Yeah. He's got enough wisdom to go, hey, guys, before we go to war, Send me on a diplomatic mission. Let's just let's just try and settle this calmly, right? So he goes and with a troop, with a, tr- a group of people, calls out to him and says, "Guys, what do you think you're doing?" He says, "How dare you build an altar? If you, if you don't want to live on that side, God's called us. To, we've got an altar already. We've got an altar in in the tabernacle in the temple. Yeah. You're free to come and live on our our side. Don't go building your own altar. Don't go worshiping your own God. How dare you do that?" They turn around and go, "What?" They we're go, building an no, altar. we're not building an altar. That wasn't our intention at all. In fact, they say, the Lord is God. He's my witness. We didn't build this altar. We just want you to remember We just us. want you to remember us. We just thought that one day you might not recognize us. So we wanted to build this as a reminder. And then the, the delegation go, oh, that's a relief. Okay, we can all go home now and be in peace. The point being, over a misunderstanding and poor communication, they nearly went to war. Yeah, okay. So that should be a lesson for all of us in our relationships. 
Yeah, that's good. So, and I would talk to any of our leaders in relationships, in our churches, anyone else that's listening to this. Don't always assume that an action is motivated by the the intention that you assume. Yeah. It's it, the app, Pastor Steve White used to, he always said to us, he always says, um, mistrust builds and grows in a culture of poor communication. He says culture is carried on communication. Okay. So if you can come to a point where you're really just like, Kenny, I don't understand why you built that altar. But before I go to war against you and I start gossiping about you to everybody, can you just help me out here? Yeah. What was your reason? This is when you'd say, can we just go and have a beer and have a chat? we just have a beer and have a chat? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and we have lost the art of doing that. Yeah. In today's world where cancel culture reigns, if you're not against us, you're for us. And we run off on a tangent and assume motives based on actions. Well, it's almost like sending a text instead of making the phone call. Instead of making the phone call. And see, in these <laughs> cases here, they did – these these guys on the, from who built the altar, it was the wrong thing to do. Yeah, but they did it for the right reason. Yeah, yeah. And oftentimes in life we do the wrong thing or a foolish thing, but our motive is right. But what happens is when someone sees us doing something we think is wrong, we assign a motive to it. Mm. If we could just learn to have a conversation and say, "Help me out here. What am I missing? Assume the best." Yeah. Fill, uh, past, nothing Steve White says is fill the gap with trust. Wow. Assume the best. You might not be right. You might be wrong. They might actually not have yeah. good motives. But if you fill the gap with trust to the point where you go, well, I'm going to at least have a conversation. Yeah. I'm totally um, getting some teenage girl high school vibes <laughs> right now because I've got a stepdaughter <laughs> who's a teenager and they have these battles where there's something happens that's misunderstood and then it just and turns it into runs. this slogging war. Yeah. No one really knows what's going on. Yep. It's part so, cyber, part unfriending you, putting yep. groups Cancel in Cancel culture. It's crazy. And and, and it's all what over happens, like a look or a, a comment. That's right. That's And that's what we, while it happens with teenage girls, it's also a human problem. Yeah. We see it here. And and, and if we're honest and we look in our own hearts, we can all it. do that. <laughs> yeah. It. It's probably is amped up because of hormones and everything else in young girls. But in honesty, I wonder where we all do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, I was going to say at the start that I've definitely – in the past judged people wrongly, made an assumption about a person before I truly knew them or their situation. Yeah, that's great. And then got slapped in the face saying, why Why would you think that about them before you got to know them? Yeah. Or, yep. You know, why would you just look at them and where they're from? Mm. Well, that's why I love this little story in Joshua yeah. 22 because packed in amongst a whole lot of blood and guts and gore and war is this story saying, you must have explained it easy because I've put, a bit hard for me to understand. <laughs> you understand it now? Yeah, and the delegation yeah. goes away satisfied that they weren't doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Good judgment. Yeah. It's it's a story, but we can cer- it's certainly very applicable to yeah. our lives in the 21st century. Yeah. Because the principles behind it are vital. Yeah. Nice. All right, All let's right. head to Joshua 23. 23. Joshua 23. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Joshua's final words to Israel. This is like a a rounding off. Joshua has 24 chapters. Yes, this is the the final. This is is chapter four of the final final speech. speech Where he talks about, there was a big time of peace. Yeah, yeah. After this. After their seven year war. Joshua got old and he made a big speech outlining the land that they've conquered. 
that is theirs and that they will conquer to come and he tells them to be careful and follow the laws of Moses and and how they will be judged if they don't. Yes. And so forth and so forth. Yes, basically it's a call to obedience. Yeah. Beyond him. Does it say how old Joshua got to? I'm going to think 110. He had a pretty, his life was in a time of turmoil, wasn't it? He yep. didn't get much rest until the end. No, not until the he end. He's on the go. He's, no, he spent 40 years. Yeah, he get, at the end of chapter 24, it tells us he dies at the age of 110. That's my guess. Okay. I was right. Yeah, so he spent, you know, he spent a lot of his years in his slavery in Egypt, and then he spent yeah. another 40 years in the desert, then he spent the better part of another seven to ten years fighting, and then he maybe got some peace at the end of that. Man, what a life. Yep. Life of a prophet. Yeah, sacrificial life, laying uh, down his really life. Not really like others. the easiest. No, not a comfortable life. Some people would think, eh, hey, prophet, you got it uh, made. No, leadership is <laughs> I not. I guess a, a lot of. We, that is like leadership in heaps of the Bible is people that are hearing from God going, what? You want me to yeah, do what? Yeah, you want me to do what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and sadly, some many people in leadership have abused their power. Yeah. Um, but, and then that has caused harm to others. We see that in the Bible and we see that in the modern church today. But, but those who genuinely want to use power to serve others, like mm. Jesus would say, that's what Joshua's life was like, regardless of what we think of, you know, he's... The, the, the whole war and all that kind of stuff, park that. This is He's a dude who lived his life for the people. Yeah. He laid down his life for his people. Sure he lived, did. lived every, every moment, th- not thinking about his own comfort, but thinking about others. Yeah. And listening to God. Yeah, that's right. I like it. So that's what he does. He, um, he calls them to obedience. He says, I'm going to die and you're going to be, uh, you know, I want you to obey. And then uh, we won't do it because we'll probably do it somewhere else in the podcast, but we'll just uh, elaborate on 24 because we'll tie it all in together here. Yeah. So at the end, he then calls them, and there's a famous passage in Joshua 24 that says, choose for yourselves whom you'll serve, but as for me and my house, we're ah, going to serve the Lord. Yes. And that's part of his final call. And they go, yeah, yeah, we will serve the Lord. We'll follow him. And uh, it doesn't last very long. In fact, by the time Joshua and the elders that lived, outlived him die, they've all forgotten about the Lord and want, And the book of Judges goes on with them. I was going to say, who's the next prophet after Joshua? Well, after Joshua, they end up in the book of Judges and they have a whole bunch of That's leaders. That's one that I read through quickly. Yeah, a whole bunch of <laughs> leaders who just rise up, deliver, then the people wander away, just rebel against God. It's a constant book of Josh, Judges after the high point of unity yep. in Joshua. It's a downward spiral. Book of Judges, as they wander further and further away well, from the ways before, of God. That's happened before. That's happened before. Yep. <laughs> and so that's where Joshua leads into Judges. So that's how Joshua ends with the people who say, Yes, we will. Yep. And then they know they don't, <laughs> which is human behavior, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So that's okay. Joshua 20, 23. You got anything else there? No, that's all I had for that. So we're going to the New Testament, are we? We are going to 1 John 1, which... Bef- Kenny, this could be some kind of record. We're like know, 45 sorry. minutes and we've done the Old Testament. This is awesome. Yeah. Sorry to the, those, those of you who speak for five hours. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm the other half of that it's conversation. Okay. <laughs> I, th- I think I asked Amanda why there's a 1 John 1, but then it's because he's one of the Gospels, yeah? The Gospel of John... Yeah, and there's then, a gospel of John. And because he and wrote then, another book, it was 1 John 1. Then he wrote another one that was 2, two John. John. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's so, exactly right. So where are we going? 1 John. John. 1 John 1. Okay. Let's do it.
Alrighty, we are in 1 John 1. We're going to tackle the whole book, five in a row, five chapters. That's it. Whole letter. Um, it's quite the contrast to Joshua. Yes. Um, 1 John. Who is John writing to in 1 John? Is there someone it, there's who's no, writing there's to There's no it? specific reference here to who he's writing to. Um, assuming this is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John. and I Which s- the theologians might have... Questions? Some questions. <laughs> yes, some do question it. I think the general consensus is it is the same John. Is John Jesus' brother? Uh, no. no, this is... Sorry, uh, podcasters, about my lack of uh, that's right. knowledge. This is, J- this is uh, John, Peter, James and John, the three disciples. So this is the youngest of those three. So Peter, James and John are often mentioned together. Yep. But James and John were brothers. Okay. So James and John were the sons of Zebedee. Yep. Um, James was... Martyred very early on oh. in the church. John lives on for many, many years. Yep. Church history seems to indicate John was the last. He's probably very young when he started. He's probably the young, maybe he might have been 12 or 13 at the time of Jesus, oh, a young wow. boy. He lives on all the way through. So assuming this is the same John, and there will be people who would say, no, it's not, but let's just for the sake of it, assume that he is John the Elder. Um, he's writing this stuff much, much later towards the end of his How life. How far after Jesus? Uh well, I think that John probably lived into into the nineties AD, so wow. this could be this could be as much as fifty years after the time of Christ. Okay, so he's been he's been as a young man, a disciple, a follower of Jesus, has lived and influenced the church for many many years. This is the same, assuming that tradition holds true. Yeah, yeah. scholars who disagree. This is the same John who will also be the John in Ireland of Patmos that receives the revelation, the book of Revelation. Okay. Same, yeah, same yeah. guy. So tradition holds that he um, uh, after, had suffered persecution in Rome. He was boiled in oil and survived being Whoa. dropped into a vat of oil. Wow. And, the, and Caesar, Caesar thought, well, I can't try and kill him again because if he survives again. That's a form of torture, yeah. That's a form of torture. He's supposed to be boiled in oil. That's how they did it. So tradition holds. We've got no evidence from scripture, but. Church tradition says he was boiled in oil. He survived that. So Caesar goes, well, I can't do that again because if he survives that, I'm going to lose any creed, any credence or power. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, banish him, yep. exile him to the island of Patmos off the coast, and that's where he'll spend the rest of his life. And it's on that island where, where he the gets magic the magic revelation. Grow wild. Where the magic mushroom grow wild. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's, that's what tradition holds. But at the end here, he writes towards the end of his life, assuming this is the case, he writes these three books. One John is five chapters. Two John and three John are just wow. one chapter. So each. he would have lived through Acts. Yes. With, with Paul yeah. And yeah. He would have gone Paul, through that Peter. whole thing. Yep. And by the time later in life, he's he's in Turkey. He's living. Uh, he's living in. He's moved out of Jerusalem. He's living in Turkey, and uh, which is sort of where a lot of Paul's churches were: Galatians and Ephesians. All those church, yeah, Galatians, Ephesians, especially Colossians, they're all in Turkey. And wow. so many of the churches that he writes to in the book of Revelation are all in Turkey. Makes, because I've written, John is a good writer. He talks about light and darkness and fellowship yeah. and sin and cleansing. So he's a wise, he's a wise man, man who's lived through a yeah. lot. And he's, I always find his writings quite complicated. They're quite cryptic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, even if you read the gospel of John, you often find it's, I find it quite cryptic. You've got to think he, he, he writes quite differently to the okay. others who just write quite straight narrative. He often will say things like, I am the light, true light comes into the world. And so you think about John chapter one, 
the first chapter of the book of John says, in the beginning was oh, the was word, the word yeah, and the word yeah, was yeah. with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Without him, nothing was made. <laughs> it's pretty cryptic, right? So he uses this very rich, deep, poetic kind of writing. And we see that in 1 John here. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom yeah. we have hidden. It's very three. poetic. That's what I thought. 1 to 3 is very poetic and well-written. Yeah, just like one, like John chapter 1. Yeah. 1 John 1 and John chapter 1, you'll see a very similar style of writing. Whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him and now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It's cool, hey. Yeah, he's cool. Beautiful I'm piece trying of to work out. Writing. I'm thinking which one is he in The Chosen. I can't picture him. Uh, John, <laughs> I think, if I'm right. But if there's brothers, I think I know the two brothers. Yeah, one of them changed actors oh, really? after season one. I think it might be John. I've got a feeling they had to get a different actor. for. They didn't sign up the same actor for season two. Okay. I think. Now I've put in here his verse nine, the judgment reference part. Let's it could well be. Nine. Yep. Eight. Yep. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, cleanse us from all wickedness. Yes, I think it is. It's linked to if you go back a go back a couple of chap a couple of verses before it. He says uh, in verse seven, "If we're living in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with each other, and through the blood of Jesus His Son." Verse eight: If we claim we're not we have no sin, no sin. we're fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Uh -huh. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. So, if, and then in verse 10, if we claim we've not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing out his word has no place in our hearts. So he seems to be correcting this belief that mm. people think that they are perfect. Yep. And he's going, look, if you look inside and your sinless. heart. And <laughs> sinless. If you look inside your heart, you really are, you really have sin. Yeah. So in this passage, in John's writing here, he's going to talk a lot about love in the future chapters. But I think yep. as we read John, 1 John, we've got to read it through the lens of um, – well, through through the lens of he's trying to counteract uh, a self righteous behaviour. Okay. In fact, why don't we take a moment? Yeah. I'm not. This this isn't normally how I do it, but just for the sake of time, I'd normally look up a commentary, and I haven't got one in front of me. I know uh, that because part of this, I was look looking at the ESV Bible that had the little writing about certain verses. Yep. The yep. Study Bible. Find? Yep. Uh, no, I didn't really delve into. It. I just know that there was a lot in the study Bible bit that went along with it. All right. I'm just. I've just asked. GPT, so you can't. I have to. I would normally just research this and make sure. Yeah. I just said, give me the background of one John. The Epistle of one John is one of three letters attributed to John. These letters are often referred to as the Johannine Epistles. Here's a big brief background. Although the author doesn't explicitly identify himself, early Christian tr tradition attributes this to John the Apostle. It's based on style, vocabulary, themes, which closely align with the Gospel of John. There you yep. go. I just said that. Date implies place of writing. Most scholars believe that 1 John was written somewhere between 85 and 100 AD. It's likely composed after the Gospel of John. The place of writing is not specified, but tradition suggests that it might have been written while he was in Ephesus. Purpose. The letter addresses several key themes and purpose. This is probably good just to have in mind yeah, as we yeah, read yeah. these next few chapters. 
several key themes and purpose. One, assurance of salvation. John writes to reassure believers in their faith and to confirm that they have eternal life through faith in Christ. Two, to refute heretical teachings. There were false teachings and proto-Gnostic ideas, we'll come to what Gnostic is in a moment, um, emerging during this time, which denied the full humanity and or divinity of Jesus Christ. And John addresses these heresies. Remind me to come back to Gnosticism at some point. Moral living. John emphasizes the importance of living righteously and loving one another as proof of genuine faith. Beautiful. Testing the spirits. John advises believers to test the spirits or teachings to see whether they are from God. The style and the structure of the text. Unlike typical epistles of the New Testament or letters of the New Testament that begin with a greeting and end with a conclusion, one John dives straight into its theological message. The letter is more a theological treatise or sermon. It characterizes by its contrast such as light and darkness, which you picked up on, um, and love and hate. Key verse is 1 John 5, 13. I write these things that you may believe in the name of the Son of God and that you may have eternal life. To fully grasp the depth and nuances of 1 John, a thorough study and the, uh, of the epistle, reading and the study of the epistle is in, in its entirety is beneficial. That's a pretty good answer. For that. Wow. Thanks, ChatGPT. So that okay. gives us a bit of an understanding of where we're going. Okay. I like it. All right. So we're going to press on to chapter two or have you got more, chap- more stuff in there? No, let's press on to chapter two. All right. 1 John 2. Alrighty, 1 John 2, but before we do, let's talk about that word. Gnosticism? <laughs> Gnosticism, When yeah. you said Gnostic, I thought agnostic. Is there anything to do with that? Um, no? Yeah, it probably does. It probably does. don't know what the meaning of agnostic is. Isn't the meaning of agnostic mean that you... I know what it is, but I don't know what the root word is. Uh, it basically means I don't really have an opinion one way or another on... So I don't believe there's no God. and I, I don't, don't believe, believe there, there is a God. Yeah, sort yeah. of that in between. Okay. So, yeah, it'll probably be the same root word. So the Greek agnosticism, it's a heresy. What does heresy mean? Heresy is any belief that's not orthodox in its in its faith. And so this is – and agnosticism was the first Christian heresy or belief that comes about. In fact, many of the writers of the New Testament, later writers of the New Testament, deal with it. In fact, okay. gosp- the next book after John's is going to be Jude. Can I just say I thought it was hearsay instead of heresy? heresy. Okay, no, until it's heresy. The, until the podcast. Until the podcast. Week. Okay, oh, there you go. Well, that's actually they look quite similar. And heresy <laughs> can be hearsay. Actually, that's the problem. It, so her- a, hearsay is an actual word that means hearsay, something different. Hearsay, isn't it? hearsay means oh, I've heard something and I'm gonna. I haven't. Ref- I haven't verified it. I'm just gonna oh, see. I thought that was the same, and I was just pronouncing it wrong. Yeah, you can see why it almost is the same thing. Yeah. Um, but no, heresy is actually false belief, but heresy, okay. hearsay can lead to heresy. Okay. You take it too far. <laughs> um, so there is, well, throughout church history, there's been various different doctrines that are put forward as truth, but they've been, you know, the line in the sand, they've gone, yep. no, that's not orthodox faith. This was the first one that came up, Gnosticism. Later on, and 300 years later at the Council of Nicaea, they're going to have to deal with the doctrine of Arianism, which is a heresy, which is why they had the Council of Nicaea to form the Nicene Creed that most churches stick by today because they had this belief that uh, this guy called Arius um, had a belief. His belief was that Jesus wasn't actually God. Jesus was a created by God the Father, but he was a created being, not a creator. 
and they, they labeled that as heresy and they built the Nicene Creed. We believe in God, the Father, maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus, born of the, uh, begotten, not not made, made and all this sort of stuff. They came out of trying to refute the doctrine of Arianism, the, wow. the heresy of Arianism. Okay. At the time of Jesus, at the time of the latter part of the New Testament, we have this early stages of Gnosticism, which will continue as a heresy into the next century, the second century. Jude, a couple of chapters after this, he will write and say, I really wanted to talk to you. Let me just read how it starts. He says, he says, this letter is from Jude. This is a brother of Jesus, a half brother of Jesus. He says, dear friends, I really wanted to plan to write to you and tell you about the salvation we all share. But now I find I must write to you about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once and for all to all his people. Mm. And he goes on and he writes his little letter to refute Gnosticism. So what is Gnosticism? Well, it comes from the Greek word gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, which means knowledge. And so what they did, Gnostics, it's probably not that dissimilar to some sects today, like uh, some some sects, S-E-C-T-S, like what's the one Tom Cruise is a part of? Scientology. Scientology that says that you've got to achieve some kind of special knowledge or, yep. or now they, they reckon they can buy their way into it or whatever. Gnosticism said that uh, you had to achieve some level of special knowledge and that hidden in the text and hidden in the religious beliefs was some kind of special practice. And when you did that, you'd be liberated from your body. Wow. Basically, the essence is the body is bad, spirit is good. And you need to separate yourself. The ultimate goal is to be separated from your body. Get away from it. Nothing and like when Paul went to the third aisles. Where, where did Paul go? Say he went to a... The third heaven? Yeah. Yes. So Something like that? Well, yeah. Ultimately, the goal is to be separated. The, whereas the Christian message is, no, the ultimate goal is the reunification of body, the resurrected body. But they had this belief that the ultimate goal is to just get away from your body. Oh, wow. Body is, stuff of this earth is bad. Yeah. It's okay. evil. And so you need to get away from it. The so way to get, get away so from it, spiritual you get that you so leave spiritual that behind. You leave that behind. You'd suddenly reach this plane of gnosis, this plane of existence where you shed your body and you've achieved some kind of enlightenment state. Never heard this before, okay. except when like hippies would say, I reach nirvana. It's nirvana. So yeah, so it's, <laughs> it's got aspects of that in it. Yeah. Now that's all well and good, but it actually had practical outworking, which was destructive in people's lives because it actually had two extremes um, with regard to the body. So one extreme was the body is completely bad. So don't have anything to do with your body, destroy your body, beat your body, starve oh, your body. Don't have any sexual relationships, all of that kind of, the... yeah, it's, it's the body is bad. So we have to cleanse the body. Wow. The only way to cleanse the body is to just actually treat the, beat the body. Wow. Okay. Cause it's evil. So they go to this hyper kind of punishment of the body and withdrawing any kind of earthly pleasure. Don't, don't enjoy any food. If you must eat, eat plain foods, no sexual relationship, sex is bad, et cetera, et cetera. They took it to that extreme. So that's one extreme. Wow. The other extreme is actually the opposite end, which was this. Well, if the body is bad and really in the end, we're going to be shed the body, then eat, drink, and for tomorrow we die. <laughs> so do whatever you do want in your you body because it doesn't really matter anyway. Lather that butter. Lather that butter on. on have sex with whoever you want to have sex with. Just basically go and wow the other end. So you get two polar opposites that came from that same belief of Gnosticism. All the same belief. And so the early many of the New Testament writers are writing to refute Gnosticism. Okay, they're actually saying no, the body is good. Yeah, 
The body, we are embodied creatures. God has chosen to put his spirit treasure in this jar of clay, Paul will say. The body is a good thing. Yeah, okay. It's just that, it, yes, it can go off on a, but when Paul's talking about the flesh, he's not talking about our physical bodies. He's talking about this part of us, yeah. the sinful nature that wants to do the wrong thing. Yep. But our bodies are actually created by God and God, when he created the bodies, they're good. Okay. So that's what Gnosticism was. Wow, it's very interesting. I've never heard of it before. Yeah, and it was very prevalent at this towards the end of the first century and into the second century. And so it's interesting that even so in were the they New called Testament, Gnostics. They were called Gnostics. Okay. Yep. And you know, you know, are pre- they mentioned? In- uh, you there's references to the you can see historically. I don't think you can actually find the word Gnosticism in the Bible, but once you know what Gnosticism is from other writings and texts, yeah, you realise that these writers like John and Peter and these guys are actually writing and even Paul to some degree, are writing to refute Gnostic teaching. Yeah, okay. Cool. Okay. So Very that's what cool. it is. So that's where we're going with these texts. I like it. So we're in 1 John 2. We're in 1 John 2. I, I put at the start of this that this is so different to Joshua and I'm struggling with the fact that it's the same God. Ah, yes. I know that Jesus changed everything, but God was there at the beginning too and so was Jesus. Yes, yes. Because um, it's the start of John Oh, 1 John 2 is just, my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. So that's, it's beautiful. And it seems so contrary seems so to the like blood and you, guts and judgment of yeah. Joshua. And, yeah. and following rituals and, you know, so do you purifications. Think, and do you I, think our last couple of conversations over the last podcast and half of this one have, sh- have shared any light on how to approach that question you've just said there about the apparent difference between the two? Well, definitely. Um a lot of it is context of the time and what it meant to the people about like at this time, is there wars and stuff going on here? Is are they trying to, are Not the Israelites this, settled? And, uh, in this stage, know? it's the Roman empire. So there's a degree of, there's a degree of, there's no inter major international it's a border different wars. Time. It's a time of persecution yeah. for Christians. Yeah. Um, definitely. But yeah, it's not like one nation's going to war against another. The Romans have pretty much have an enforced peace at this time. Yeah. It's not beautiful, blissful peace, but it's an enforced peace. Well, I know it's a lot different. I know that what we were talking about, justice of God and the way it looked harsh, but it was really in some ways potentially a sign of grace. Consistent. I mean, I the word that comes to my mind is consistent. That God okay. He never said, I'm just gonna do this once and then not do it, you know, my judgment will be this once and this. Yeah. He had a judgment. There was always a set of rules. I feel like there's a set of rules here too. 1 John 2, it's an interesting one. Yeah, like, you're right though because there seems to be, this seems to be focusing on the grace and the forgiveness that if you yeah. repent. I don't think that's ever changed. I think, I think God in the Old Testament you'll find God offering repentance to those who... He offering forgiveness to those who repent, definitely. You see it in David. 
who repented after the sin with Bathsheba. Yeah. I think repentance and forgiveness has always been an offer. I can see it in the big picture, but when I look at this compared to that, it is it seems really different. Yeah. Yeah. Could part of it be maybe that in the Old Testament we're dealing with a national focus, like God's people as a whole. Yeah. Whereas here John's narrowing it down to I wouldn't say us personally, it's still us corporately, but a small group of people. He's dealing with he's dealing with speaking to a group of people who um, are trying to figure out what it means to be faithful yeah. to Christ in a world that doesn't want them. Well, it, essentially it is different because back then only prophets heard from God. Yeah. And in this time there could be a lot of people that could hear yeah. from God and yeah, tongue interpretations. And, yep, true. Um, I guess it was like the start of the new church where – Lots of crazy stuff crazy going on. Stuff is yeah. happening. Yep, that's right. Yep. So yep. it is a different time, but God's not different. But it sounds like he's Yeah. This, this is just me this is a normal trying question. to put it into words. Oh, it's perfectly normal. Not People, just like you can see it, but it's hard to say how it sits with me. Yep. That's yeah. a perfectly normal question. People will say things like, I can understand the God of the New Testament, I can't understand yeah. the God of the Old Testament. But I know that the God of the Old Testament was just and loving and gracious, even though things were harsher. But isn't that just how they had to be because of the degree of sin and spiraling? Yeah, Yeah, I think that's probably a good point of it. Yeah. Yeah. And they were products of their time. Their time was far more dysfunctional than even at this time. At this time, society, the Roman culture is pretty corrupted. Yeah. But generally speaking, there's a there's a peace there, you know. Generally speaking, um, there's a degree of the Pax Romana, this peace of Rome. Pax Romana. The Pax Romana is this peace like of Rome. That, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That it's not. It's enforced, but it's it's not as vicious and bloodthirsty, at least at the surface level, for everyday people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As it was in the Old Testament. So I've written. I know John. He goes on a bit in this, but I've written. I see what John is saying. But personally, I find it really hard to obey to obey God's word truly, and to live as Jesus did. So, I mean, it's just, it's something we try and do, but we all know that we fail. Yeah, yeah, and he's going to say that too. Does he? As he goes, because he he says in was it chapter in chapter one? It was back there. He says he says if we do sin, yeah, we're calling. He says, but if we're faithful and confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Because in verse four, he's like, if someone claims I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. But who really does it truly? Previous chapter, he's just told us we're not all obeying God's word. We are. If we think we're sinning without sin, we're lying. Mm. The truth is not in us. We're making God out to be a liar. So on one hand, he's saying we're all sinners. Yeah. We all mess up, but at the same time, he's, he's setting a, a standard that says if you really claim to live for God, yeah, your life will show it. Okay, you'll live a life of righteousness. So to go back to our conversation about sin with Jeannie from a couple of yeah. weeks ago, we'll be thinking think about it from the perspective of the opposite of sin is yes. to do righteousness. Yeah. If you're going to be a follower who claims to live in the truth. Your life will be a life where you do righteousness to yeah, others. Yeah. So instead of Living your life thinking about not sinning, You'll living live your a life, life in thinking about, about how you righteousness. can help love your neighbor and that's help right. other people. And that's what he's going to go on with in chapter four and talk about loving God. Yeah, that's, loving. that's what he goes on. And then he goes on to reiterate the new commandment I give unto yeah, you, there love it is right one here. another as I have loved yeah. you. 
in my thing. I've got to yes, sing it, but I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> but doesn't, that, people in doesn't all, that sound like doing righteousness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that relates to people in all stages of faith, yep. really. Yep, that's right. And Fred from our church at Thoreau, he often talks about this and picks up on this and saying, this is, you know, Jesus here, John's riffing off his writings about Jesus saying the new commandment, love one another. Yep. I have loved you. And I've heard Fred say, you know, it's all very well in the Old Testament to say, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Fred would say that this is taking it to a whole different level again and saying, this is not just loving your neighbor as yourself. This is now new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. This is what John actually yeah. says in, the, this is what Jesus says in the end of John's gospel. He actually says, a new command I give you. As I have loved you, now you should love one another. One another, as I have loved you. We sang that at, in the Anglican church. Yeah, right. That's it. So it's more than... <laughs> so. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, as you have loved one for another. He's quoting that was the song. straight out of John. <laughs> straight out of John. John 11 something, yeah. I think. Anyway, wherever it is, but that's the point is, is, and Fred said this to me a few times. He said to him personally, his understanding is that's, that's another level on love your neighbor as yourself. He's yeah. actually saying, okay, well, sometimes I don't love myself the right way. Yes. But so Jesus is now going, I expect you to love everybody else the way you've experienced my love. That's a pretty mm. high call. Okay. But it's a good point. So that's what he's calling a super proactive righteousness towards others. It goes, yeah, it goes it's, beyond it's loving the neighbor I, I, I found this one, John, too, quite interesting. And, and uh, to be a little bit vulnerable as someone who's had a bit of mental health struggles this year, it makes it a bit harder to, because if you're struggling mental health wise, it's make, and you say you love you others as you love yourself, Yes, you're like, well, at the moment, I, I don't, don't really feel a whole myself. lot of love for myself right now. <laughs> and I'm in wow, a bit of a you. hole and it's hard Appreciate for me honesty, to, yeah. you know, I, I struggle with a bit of this and um, verse 15 where it goes on to do not love this world. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Do not love sunsets in the ocean? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying, is it? No. What is he saying? First of all, just riff, to, riff off what you just said. That's yeah, absolutely yeah. right. And I think the key there is... If you're not feeling a lot of love for yourself because of your own mental health or, or, or struggling through some trauma or some pain, uh, I think discovering and finding a way to read the Gospels with a view for Jesus' love towards us is a huge way forward because if we can grasp that, well, actually, that will help us to appreciate and love ourselves Yeah, because we can go, oh, God loves me. I can love myself. I can respect myself. But also, too, that will then empower you to get beyond your own feelings and actually demonstrate love to yeah. others the way Christ has loved you. I guess so. sometimes you read some of this one, John two and think, well, he's obviously got it together, yeah. but I haven't. And he, yeah. I don't <laughs> think that's what he's saying. So that's, I know, that's I know. A, it's a valid it's way. Just to look at way it. It's kind of a way that I looked at it and thought, yeah, well, yeah. You know, I feel good like on you, John. Hopeless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to remember John's been living this life for a long time. He's an old man. He's a wise man by now. And he's, and he would have been through a whole lot more yes, than I've been. Yes, that's right. Especially if he's been boiled in oil by now. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, he's been through some tough times, but he's still very pastoral. You'll see that in in 2 John and 3 John. He's very pastoral. He, he wants the best for people. So really he's so he mean, says, don't love he's this meaning world. don't love the things of the world that yes. distract us from God and his creation. That's what he's saying. Don't yeah. love this world or the things it offers you. When you love the world, you do not have love the Father 
you don't have the love of the father in you. So the world here is is stuff, sex, money, power. Really. Yeah. It's those big three. See, want, take. See, want, take. That's what he said. Don't love that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. You know, give up that stuff for something bigger than yourself. You can't love, he'll go on and say, you can't love God and not love your brother yeah. or your sister. So that's what he's saying here, I think. And another little bit that I, I guess, spun out on was uh, how he, verse 22, and who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ, anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. And I straight away thought, I know lots of nice, lovely people that uh, okay. probably wouldn't see Jesus as the Christ. Okay, so this that haven't is... That have done mean things to people. No, this is a direct reference to Gnosticism. Okay, there we go. Luckily we talked about yeah, it. Yeah, we did talk about it. Okay, so I didn't mention this before. So if you follow that belief that the body is bad... Yep. And the spirit is good, Gnostic belief. What do you do with Jesus? And so here's what they did with Jesus. They said the spirit of the Messiah, the spirit yep. of Christ, um, came upon the person, the man, Jesus, oh, wow. at the baptism Yep. and then left him prior to his death on the cross Wow. because he couldn't go through death. Yep. So it separated out the spirit of Christ from the man who, the physical body of yep. Christ. Okay. Okay. And that was a Gnostic belief that was going around at the time that the person of Jesus. So Jesus was just a normal man. Just a normal man. And then somehow God just came in supernatural. How did they explain the immaculate conception? Well, they didn't worry they, about any of that. Oh, they right? just went. No, they didn't worry about it. They, they actually had this belief. And that's not an uncommon belief. The Gnosticism was rooted in some Greek mythology. So that was not okay. an uncommon belief that in some Greek mythology, mythological stories that this, the divine being would come and inhabit and possess and take over a human being for a period of time to achieve its purpose and then leave again. Wow. So that's what their belief was. So they actually said this man, Jesus, was this man was just a man and the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the Messiah was separate from that, came for a period of time, did what he needed to do and then left and left this man. So now, wow. let's, re now let's read yeah, what okay. I just told you in light of that. <laughs> yes. Who is a liar? Anyone that says that Jesus is not, not the, the Christ, Christ, anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either, but anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Yeah. So this is a refute against that Gnostic teaching and say, no, anyone who acknowledges, because he'll, he'll say elsewhere, anyone who says that Christ did not come in the flesh. Yeah, okay. So this is a direct rebuke of Gnosticism. So and then he's sort of saying, don't. Listen to those people. And yeah, don't, don't let listen. them. Don't let them lead you astray. Yeah? That's right. I'm writing these things to warn, warn you about you. those who want to lead you astray. Yep, that's right. But you have received the Holy Spirit and lives within you. For this, yep. That's so. Now we see this chapter, these three or four verses here. Yeah. Directly as a refute of Gnostic teaching. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true, for the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and that He teaches is true. Okay, that's also Gnosticism because this belief that you could get in touch with some kind of special teacher that would provide you with some special knowledge that would take you to the next mm. plane of existence. He's going, no, 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 you don't need special teachers. You've got the spirit living in you. Yeah. So this whole passage, now to take it back to what you said, I feel like there are good people out there who don't, who you know. Yeah. It's not about them. No. He's talking about false teaching within the church here. Right. Gosh, that's really good to hear that explained because when you read it, you just think, gosh, he's just... It's harsh, attacking it? all these, I mean, I know some. Is it, I good, know some lovely Buddhist people. That's and right. They're not evil. They're not evil. They're not they're bad not, people. They're lovely people. Yep. 
you know. Yeah, that's right. That's not what he's attacking. They're not here. the. They don't seem like they're the Antichrist nah. to me. Nah, that's not yeah. what he's attacking. He's attacking okay. false teaching that's infiltrating the church. I'm really glad that we explained that. Then. Good, good the people out there. I'm going to just wave to the camera. <laughs> so I keep forgetting. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's about it. One John three was pretty big for me. One John two that was. Wasn't oh, it? sorry. One John two. We're now gonna we're do... going to one John three. One John three. Jeez, all these one Johns are confusing me. Yeah. <laughs> One John three. I started my notes by saying I found one John three a little complicated. <laughs> More than one John one and two. <laughs> I was, we were just having a chat in between chapters, and I was like, oh, maybe I was having a bad day when I <laughs> <laughs> did my notes for this. But I guess mm, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Part of me is like John's you, a little goody two shoes. You feel like he's, he's coming on strong right. and judgmental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But really. The world's a hard place to keep yourself right with God. Yeah. I, you know, there's a, it's, it's like there's yeah. attacks coming from everywhere, really, on a daily basis. So this is called a pastoral epistle, which means he's pastoring people through it. So this okay. is, if he can come at it with that bent, that this is intended to be pastoral, not judgmental. He's not really pointing his finger at Kenny. No. I'm just saying, he's no. saying, I'm trying to help you all yeah, with I, this. Yeah, I've got I'm you trying back. To I'm trying you. to teach you. Yeah. yeah. And look, that's not to say the word isn't confronting at times. It should, if it never confronts us, it's not doing its job. Yeah. You know, it should, we should see ourselves and where we fall short in it, but not from a condemning perspective. More like, don't you know you need a savior? Yeah. This is what Jesus has done for you. And then because Jesus has done for the, you're empowered now to live this way. It should be an encouragement, not a discouragement. Well, I need to rewrite my notes then. <laughs> I've put like read verse four out of 1 John 3 and it's everyone who sins is breaking God's law mm-hmm. for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And I'm like, hmm. Is that not true? Even as a Christian, I sin. Sometimes even when I try my hardest not to. Yep. Or I'm almost there, but not quite. <laughs> okay. You probably wrote this before you listened to the sin conversation with Jenny, though, didn't you? Oh, you've definitely, had, you've had yes. Yeah, a couple yeah. of weeks. I was prepared for ages. About a yeah. month ago. Yeah, you were had yeah, the sin conversation this podcast was a couple very eye-opening. So this is that whole falling short of the glory of God. Even when you're trying your best, you still fall short. So if you read verse 4 in light of Romans 7, I do what I want to, don't want to do and I keep doing what I hate, it makes sense. I, if I do sin, yeah, I am falling short of God's law. If I park longer than 30 minutes, I have sinned. Yeah. I am falling short of God's law. But you just read verse 4, but read verse 5. But you know that Jesus came to take away our sins. And, and there's no sin, no in, sin him. in him. If you continue to live in him, you will not sin. Ah. So this is not meant to be a heavy. This is meant to be an encouragement. If you stay in Jesus, that power of sin, you keep wanting that desire in you that keep wanting to park longer than 30 minutes. You know, if you hang out with Jesus long enough, he will empower you not to live that way. Mm. He will give you the ability to live the fruit of the spirit. It'll become natural in you. doesn't mean you won't still sin. And if we do sin, we have an advocate, who Jesus Christ, John will say in 1 John 1 there. Yep. We have an advocate. He will intercede for us. He's not against us. When we sin and we repent, he's there for us. But the good news is in Christ, you have been given power to live a different kind of life. Mm. So it's encouragement rather than discouragement. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely letting it sink over me now. 
Good. <laughs> well, actually, it's funny. I, mean, I think I'm sure there's a lot of our what friend Ed who listens to the podcast yeah. from Picton. He's often talking to me about this stuff too because he often says a lot of what sort of stuff you say, don't you, Ed? You know, I just feel like I never live up to it and all that sort of stuff. This is the same thing. It's just like, hey, I can do this in Christ. I won't get it perfect, but little by little, the more I hang with Jesus, the more I hang with his people, I will live more like him and less like Okay. Because then he goes on to talk like when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has yeah. been sinning since the beginning. And so he's talking about an, a willing, not he's not talking about Kenny or Ed that's yeah. saying, how oh, I keep falling short, I want to do the right thing, yeah. I keep failing. He's talking about people here who willfully continue to disobey God. Yeah. Who go, I don't care, I'm going to live however I want. Okay. That's who he's talking about. But does that about. include people that? Try and like people that are nice, that don't do evil, but they don't believe in God? I think that's beyond the scope of the question. Okay. I think Christians will try to put that in here. Yeah. And the problem with putting that in here is we've made out everybody, there are good people out in the world, but you're all filthy sinners. And we come on with the hellfire and brimstone preaching. Just like you, I think there are a lot of people who wouldn't follow Christ that live ultimately live better moral lives than some Christians I see. Yeah. So that's, that's, I guess that's where my mind is That's where your going. mind is going. There yeah. are good people who don't follow Jesus, but still seem to live fairly morally upright lives. And don't do evil. And don't do it. But the point is, we all do evil. Yeah. That's the message of the gospel is we all have sinned and we all fall short. Yeah. In the reality, we all park longer than 30 minutes. <laughs> we all find, yeah, like, even true. when we're trying to do our best, we are falling short yeah. of the mark. And even when you do the right thing, if your mind is for the wrong reasons, <laughs> it's all co- so, so in the end, our it's best effort is still not a thick short. line, is it? It's a, no. fi- it's a fine dotted line. The, the, the moral high ground limit we need is well above what any of us as humans are capable of reaching. Yep. So, yeah, you can be good people, but that's not the point. The point is, we're in inca- we have a selfish nature, we're incapable of ultimately fulfilling that role without Jesus. But Jesus has defeated the power of sin. And, it, and he's trying to say, guys, so he's Jesus not judging is, other not, people. He's trying to he's, encourage you and say, yeah. don't live a life that says, oh, I don't care how I live. Live a life that says, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to live for you. Live in a life of relationship with him. And if you, as Paul will say, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The more you hang out with Jesus, the more you'll look like him. I love it. I'm sorry, John, for giving John understanding what you wrote. <laughs> apologize now. You won't have to apologize when you see him face to face. Well, will I recognize him? Let's talk about eternal life. Will I recognize John? Yes, we will. Wherever I go. I think we will. I think we will. <laughs> That's probably alluded to. That's about all I had for one John three. Um, thank you for explaining that to me. That's all right. No worries. We're going to go to one John four. One John four. That's a big love chapter. Here we go. Alrighty. I wish we'd kept recording for our little chat then. That was good. Mm, yeah. We, we, <laughs> we need a podcast between the podcasts. A podcast between the podcasts. Amanda <laughs> said earlier on she was listening to us talking and she realised we weren't recording and she said we should have been. <laughs> well, Jill and I are thinking about putting together a podcast soon, which will just be about us just having conversations in front of a microphone of the kind of stuff we talk about ministry I life. Like so, it. so we'll just, we often have, oh, I wish we'd just been recording this conversation because this would be good for people to just experience how we wrestle through ministry life. So we'll mm. have the podcast within the podcast sometimes. And for any people out there that from our, the churches that are 
keen to come and do a podcast, I'd encourage you to because it it gets you to dive into these scriptures and, and, and dig a little deeper and to ask the hard questions, well, which is what we're these for. last two podcasts, you must have had like really 20 pages it. of notes or something. I, en- I enjoy the fact that I can look at it and go, hmm. You know, instead of just go, oh, well, it says that. It's you can great. actually say, why does it say why that? Does it say or why that? do I feel like that about it when I read it? Yes, that's because, a good question. Yeah, what, why sometimes that you can me? just read something and go, oh, well, that doesn't sit right with me, but I'll just move on to yeah. the next verse. Rather than stopping and going, <laughs> whoa, that sounds a bit harsh. <laughs> yeah. What's really going on there? Why would God say that? I yeah, know. Totally. Well, and that's what, in essence, what we were saying in between was that yeah. I'm very passionate about giving people permission to be – challenged and not feel like you have to be shut down or labeled a heretic because you question something. Yeah. It's perfectly normal. I, I, I think it's important. Part of this podcast is to permission give for you to go, wait, what? That's right. Why would God, why would God tell them to completely obliterate all those tribes and not be threatened by that question, but yeah. go, no, I'm going to dig into that. There's some, there's something there to learn. And when you do dig in and maybe glean, say what you know, to me that can then open up a little corner of my knowledge. Yeah, and they help you to dig a bit yeah. more yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Don't just take everything I say as gospel either. Just be prepared to question it and ask, I might be wrong. And yeah. let's also recognise that reading the Bible from one day to the next can be Based different as on well. on our own emotions. Depending and on health. what you're going through. That's and, right. Yeah, it's yeah. a living document, isn't it? All right, let's dive into 1 John 4, discerning false prophets. Hmm. What have I put here? A good explanation. Verse 4 is good. Read. (laughs) But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Mm. What is John talking about at the start? Okay, what's he talking about in verse 1 and 2? Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the spirit. You must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from God. Mm. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they have the spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Oh, he's talking about Gnosticism. You got again. it, brother. <laughs> now you're learning. That person has the spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist. Right, I get it. Get it, do you? Yeah. Gnosticism. I like it. He's refuting a doctrine that's false. And he's saying this false, this doctrine is the spirit of Antichrist. So that's that's what he's talking about, Gnosticism. Yeah. And he goes on and says, but you, you're not like that. He talks you belong about to love God. a lot at the end of this, doesn't he? he Over does. and over he talks about loving one another yes. and not much about judgment. Question mark. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But we belong to God. And those who know God listen to us, but not belong to God. They do not listen to us. That's how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. I I don't know why I want to say this, but um, once while praying in tongues, I started spitting out a different tongue and Mm -hmm. I got the... um, what is it when you get spoken the English words of what the tongue is? Interpretation. I got my own interpretation mm-hmm. from God and it was like, don't, it was like, 
as much as you can listen to man, always listen to me first. Right. Always listen to God first because right. man may speak, but it might not always be the truth. Always come to me with what man says. That was the gist Perfect. of it. So yeah. I would say that about any preacher. I would say that about listening to this podcast. Yeah. Acts 17, Acts 17 verse 11, I think it is, it talks about these people in Berea and it says they studied the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. So I would say don't listen to it just because Rowan says it. I'm, I'm giving you what I believe is the truth. Yeah. But I'm on a journey of learning. And I look back over, I was preparing a sermon for preaching in Melbourne next weekend. And I was looking back over some notes from five years ago. And I went, I've changed my view on some stuff over the last five years. Yeah. We're all on a growth. Remember I said, dig up the foundations yeah, and replace yeah, yeah. them with other things. Like I said in the last podcast. So I'm not perfect. I'm trying to give you what I believe, but I'd like to make sure that I don't always do it for, and I'm probably fail at this, but I don't always do it as the emphatic, this is the truth. Yeah. I, I give you what I believe to be the truth at the time, but I would say, Kenny, everyone else, I said, do your homework. Hopefully my tool, the tools I'm giving you is giving you a different way to see some things, but then giving you some tools to go away and go, it's okay to study. It's okay to listen to the scriptures, listen to the Lord, seek God's will in the middle of it rather than just blindly accept everything that Rowan yeah. tells you. And be careful because forms of Gnosticism, whatever yes. can come at come, you yeah. when you least expect it, you oh, might just take it on. One of my pet you know? hates is when preachers stand in pulpits and declare and make these bold mm. assumptions and assume every, they, they assume truth. They don't defend it. They don't explain where they got it from. They just make assumptions and then they expect everyone to listen to them and accept them because they're convinced of it. And they sound yeah. very convincing because they actually believe it themselves. They don't realize how poor their own theology is. And they just refute that, put that out there and expect everyone to blindly listen to it. Have you heard That's this dangerous. guy? I've listened to every one of his sermons. Yeah. Oh, no, I haven't heard of him. And I'm... But they just <laughs> put it out there. Or some <laughs> preachers don't even listen to anybody else. They don't quote anybody. They just talk themselves like they're absolute moral truth. Hopefully I appeal to other speakers quite often. I'll talk yeah. about the guys from the Bible Project. I'll talk about other theologians, N.T. Wright, and different theologians and speakers because I'm always constantly wanting to hear from others. If a person you're listening to is not appealing to other people, yep. be careful. That's all I can say. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad I said that. Mm -hmm. That's about all I have for 1 John 4 except that at the end, well, the rest of it, he just goes out on and on about loving one another. and You must mention love about 20 times. Yeah, anyone who loves is a child of God and yep. knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed mu how much he loved us by sending his one and only son. This is real love. Yep. He loved us and sent us his son. I think 21, the last verse sums it up. He's given us this command. Those who love God must also love fellow believers. Mm -hmm. He's trying to say, you can't claim to love God if you're not loving others. Yeah. You need to not, and you know, as much as I just said then about judging others, I'm not trying to, I, I get protective of people who, are, I get protective when people get in a pulpit and, and preach stuff and don't, and, and don't justify it well and don't clarify it well and, and yeah. tell people what to believe. I get protective because I want people to think for themselves. Yeah. I want people just to accept blind stuff from the pulpit. So I'm protective, but it doesn't mean I don't love people. I'm sure most of the people who do this, they're not wolves in sheep's clothing. Most people are trying to do what they believe is right. They just don't realize that they're not trustworthy because you they're, can, well, you can't don't be have any accountability God's in love. You have to receive God's love too and to, learn about to it. To learn, experience yeah. it. And you then can't just you go, can hey, love here's God's love. Thank no, you. No, you have to be able to experience <laughs> it and then give it away. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right, we've got one to go, hey? One to go. All right, one John 5 coming up. 
1 John 5, rounding out the book of 1 John, titled in the uh, NLT version, Faith in the Son of God. I'm going to read verses 1 to 12 as my aging voice starts to give way at the right. end of this day. <laughs> You've done well. We <laughs> must be getting a bit late. We've done about, uh, <laughs> we've done about five hours of conversation or something. <laughs> everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree, since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. Is that a little bit of Gnosticism coming in there? Yes, I think there is a little bit of that. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. Wow. That's... It's a summary. It's a summary. It's... Could be confusing. It's it's quite simple, but I actually think it's quite confusing myself. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was no, I think it's it's John at his best cryptic writing. He jumps around and yeah, that's con- what I mean. Does he contradict my... himself? I think he's just got so many thoughts and trying it's... to see things from both sides. And he'll say one thing and go, but the, but yeah. he who doesn't. Yeah. It's like um, it, it's like maybe it's it's like when I was in school and we used to have to ring Shakespeare and. It's like you really have to slow right down and question it. I mean, I know Shakespeare was written in old language, but I used to read it and think, I've got no idea what it's saying. Sometimes with John's writing, it's like that. I've got to slow it right down and verse by verse and go, let's just unpack yeah. that verse. What's he trying to say? Because it's almost poetic in its style. And poetry demands that. It's like so dense in meaning that you can't just read it as a narrative. Poetry is different. It's, it reads like poetry, doesn't it? Yeah. But now that you know some of where he's coming from about the Gnosticism and stuff, that's more prominent. It's come up to the so surface he's, that he's so trying he's, to refute a so false saying, teaching about this Jesus. This is where we're at. Yep. But watch out for, you know, watch out for those who basically those say who that Jesus yeah. isn't didn't come in the flesh. Yeah. Watch out for those who are appealing to this high. And when he knowledge. talks about the blood and the water, he's he's going against them saying that it just started when yes. he was baptized. So when in you the say water, blood and water, what do you think that's talking about? The blood is the cross and the water is the baptism? Yep. 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 And if I'm right, I, I was racking my brain as you're listening to it, and it's getting late in the day for me to what remember What was the too. third one that he said? Spirit, the water, and yeah, the blood. spirit. Okay. So was I, that when the dove came down? When yeah, there baptized? is that. But I also liken it there. So there's definitely a baptism motif there. Yeah. Spirit comes down on the water, blood on the cross. But I also, and I wish I could remember because my brain is just a bit brain fried. I'd have to look it up. But there's definitely a, a 
hyperlink back to John chapter 3 here, the whole Nicodemus story. Ah, yeah. Jesus says, anyone who is born of water and the spirit, if you're going to be born again, you need to be born again of water and the spirit. Yep. So, and the born again of water there is definitely this talking about this water, this tree of life, this this river of life thing, but it's also talking about a physical birth. Yeah. Because physical birth involves being born through fluids. Fluids. Yeah. So there's definitely a spiritual birth and a physical birth. So you know, if you want to do some some of your own homework in your own time as you read 1 John 5, I suspect if you were to read 1 John 5 and compare it with 1 John 3 with with John 3, yeah. or just google something or just go yeah. look for Compa- comparison uh, between 1 John 5 and John 3, yeah. you'll probably find some sermons. Um, people will put up that, you'll find commentaries on that, that kind of thing. I'm just going to do this. Compare 1 John 5 with John, John 3. 3. And this isn't, I'm not putting this in chat GPT. I'm just putting this in as a sermon. And didn't type it right. I've typed it in. It's read as compare. Ah, I didn't type it right. Let's try chat GPT for a moment. Let's just do this. I've got my glasses on. What? Uh, some comparisons. My sight's starting to go as well. Yeah, I need to put my glasses <laughs> on. I can't see. I can't see what I'm typing. When I'm trying to get it right, it's not going to get it right if I don't type in right. What are some comparisons between one John five? This is just to help you listeners yeah, to understand. You I can like do it. this yourself. John, I 3. like the idea that the that you can link things. Yeah, in. remember this is the same author. Okay, one John five. This is a Chat GPT and. It, are both rich passages that touch on the themes of belief, the testimony about Jesus and eternal life. Here are some comparisons. Belief in Jesus. 1 John 5, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is born as the Son of God. John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Testimonies about Jesus. 1 John 5 speaks of the testimony that Jesus uh, about Jesus by the Spirit, the water, and the blood. Yep. I'm just abbreviating what's written here. John 3 testifies, John the Baptist testifies about Jesus and he testifies that he has, what he has seen and heard, talks about eternal life. This is, I'm not really happy with this explanation. I'd do some more D <laughs> into this. Um, this is not a great explanation. Um, yeah, I'm not even going to bother with the rest no, of those. Don't. They're not, they're not ideal. I probably used the wrong chat GPT version there. Okay. I don't think they're great. I could come up with better ones myself than that. All right. So, I, but I would Google Something it. worth digging I, I would into. dig into it. Okay. Because what I'm doing is, or just go, what is meaning of spirit, water, and blood? Start yeah. there. Because it seems cryptic language. But all of those meanings for a Jew are all rift. There's history that they're ripping up there. They're thinking about spiritual. They're thinking about water. Jesus, Jesus speaks about water a lot himself. Yeah. So there's a lot of history there that you've got to okay. bring to the surface. I, I'm going to do that. Yeah, do that. I'm going to do it. Yeah. So I got here that I was a little confused later in this chapter at verse 16. If you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not oh, does yeah. not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. What the? <laughs> Okay, so what is a sin leading to death? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so here's here's a little hint for you. Yep. I have studied that before. This yep. is just to show you that, you know, you think Pastor Rowan knows everything. I've studied that before. I've come up with answers that I c- I'm convinced, oh, that makes sense. Yep. And yet I don't have the answer in my head right now. Right. I okay. would need to study that as well. 
uh, because that that whole thing of there's a sin that leads to death and don't pray for that. I think from memory, that is, we look at that and go, what could that possibly mean? But in its context, it's it makes a lot of sense. Doesn't all sin lead, lead to, to death? death? Yeah, so he must be talking yeah. about something else. What is the meaning of one, this might work better, 1 John 5, 16 and 17, is it? Yep. leaning for it to load because I'm in chat GPT. I'm trying to do a quick version rather than spending time studying it. This is somewhat a challenging passage. No kidding. <laughs> As its interpretation has been demated among scholars and theologians, oh, wow. here's a general understanding of its meaning. The sin not leading to death. This sin seems to refer to the sins that a believer commits, which while still wrong, do not serve sever their relationship with God. When other believers see someone commit such a sin, they can pray for that person and God will grant them life, meaning forgiveness and restoration. The sin leading to death. The, the nature of the sin leading to death is not explicitly described, which has led to various interpretations. Some suggest it refers to a persistent, unrepentant state of sin that results in spiritual death. Well, that would fit with the previous chapter where yep. we were saying that willingness to, unwillingness to change. Yeah. Others believe it might refer to specific sins or heresies, like denying Christ's incarnation, which is... Gnosticism. Yeah, yeah. So I might be talking about that kind of sin. Mm. They were particularly threatening the community of John that John was addressing. Yep. Still others suggest it may refer to a final and definitive rejection of God's grace and salvation. So scholars are a bit not sure about that. So we're in good company that we're a bit confused. Not praying for those who have a sin leading to death. John's statement that believers should not pray for this kind of sin is puzzling. It doesn't mean that we should pray for those in severe sin. Instead, it might indicate that there are situations uh, there are situations where a person's continual rejection of God and persistence in sin reaches a point where intercessory prayer doesn't have the effect we might desire. Mm-hmm. However, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray for someone's repentance or return of faith. All wrongdoing is sin, John says. John concludes by reminding his readers that all wrongdoing is sin. While there might be a verifi- varying consequences or severities of sins, every act of wrongdoing is still a transgression in God's eyes. Like many passages in the Bible, it's essential to interpret these within a broader context. ChatGPT is very good at just giving a disclaimer at the end of yeah. all these views, <laughs> which it does very well. It doesn't presume. What I like about it is it doesn't presume to present everything as absolute categorical fact. It's quite good at saying, hey, you should check this out for yourself, which is good. That's how it's programmed. Funny Christians would do that. We'd do what I said before and give people permission. So with that, I'm going to have to dig further. Yeah. I'm not satisfied with my answer there. I'm not satisfied with any of those answers. Okay. I would dig further and I would look at it and go, there's more context. Yeah. I think the one that probably makes the most sense there is maybe something about, and this is something related to Gnosticism. Yeah. Because that seems to fit the context of the rest of the book. Mm. But I'll dig further. It seems to touch a little bit on Gnosticism in each chapter. It does, because this is, yeah. he is, yeah. So listeners, I'm not here to give you all the answers. That's yeah. not the purpose of this. We, we haven't got time to, to dig into all of it. But it's I'm definitely hoping, got my mind ticking. That's what I want to do. I want to equip yeah. you. It says in the introduction to the podcast, I want to equip you with tools so you can mine the riches of the word for themselves. So these are just mm. some practical things you can do. Read some commentaries, watch some YouTube videos, study, pray, ask ChatGPT, mix it all together and see if you can form up what you think it's saying. And invariably you hit, you hit on a nugget yeah. and you go, ah, oh, that's, that makes sense. And the reason I'm saying is I'm not satisfied with any of those answers I've read on those last couple of searches yet, yeah. which tells me I'm, I'm missing something. And it's like the last, the very last like verse of this chapter says, dear children, keep away from anything that might take 
God's place in your heart. So you don't want to get it wrong. No, that's so, right. Yeah, you don't want to go, you don't want to just make a decision about what you believe from what you're reading and yep. go, oh, well, I'll just take that. Take that. No, you want to move on. You want to <laughs> dig. Yeah. Um, and you'll, you'll never understand everything. That's okay. No. But don't form doctrine on stuff you don't understand. Yeah. Just go, wow, that's just beyond me right and now. And don't make judgment on things that you don't, don't understand. understand. Yeah. Yeah, and if we can do that, we can be surrounded. We'll off be better citizens. Judgment. We'll be more loving of others. We won't be so judgmental and critical of others. We will citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven. <laughs> yeah, our citizenship is in heaven. Mm. Well, that's the end of our podcast, Kenny. That is. I um, didn't really do a whole lot of eternal life stuff, did we? Eternal judgment stuff there. Yeah. But I feel like I put it in the bonus podcast. I want to say something like, if you are out there and you have questions about any of the stuff we've talked about, like judgment and if you feel like you've been hurt by the church or maybe it's time to talk to someone about it, you know, because I mean, could you say that the church is changing or could you say that? I'd like to think so. I don't think, I think the church is maybe not changing, but um, we're becoming the way we look at, we're becoming more aware and look at certain things. I'd like to think that certainly that churches that I'm involved in that that's our heart is to yeah, our These three change. churches, I don't think we're, we're not going to push you away. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. And if you, you can always ask a question anonymously yeah. on our podcast as well. You don't have to put your name on it. You can go on the website. That's right. And uh, just go to c 3 church There's going to be no light shine down Bible. upon Wait, you. What? Yeah. Yep. And what was that? Sorry. I was going to say, you can go to the website. Yep. Any of our locations, c3camden.church, c3picton.church, c3therule.church forward slash the Bible wait what Beautiful. and in there is a question where you can lodge an anonymous question or we put your name to it and then eventually we'll do some Q&A podcasts and address some of that stuff. I might stuff. be some lodging some more questions. Yes, for <laughs> sure. Yep, that's what we want. Uh, well, thank you, Rowan, for having me once again. Thank you, Kenny, for these last two episodes. It's been a long day for us. Sure has. Yep. We're Listeners, sign off. you. See you next week, everyone. I think I'm on with, I think I might be on with Jimmy Brennan Ooh, yeah. next week. So our first Camden Resident guest will be with us next week and then followed by Phil Weirden after that. So Awesome. Yeah. All right, All everyone. Right, farewell. Farewell. God bless. Bye.